Hospitals and other providers that engage in so-called information blocking could face steep financial penalties if a rule proposed in October by the Department of Health and Human Services is finalized. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson, and this is Just Healthcare Daily. It's Monday, December 18th. Thanks so much for joining us. Today, Mickey Tripathi, National Coordinator for Health Information Technology at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, joins the podcast to talk more about those proposed penalties, how hospitals engage in information blocking, and some instances when some organizations may be prevented from sharing electronic health information. Here's our conversation. Before we get started, can you briefly define information blocking for our listeners? Sure. Information blocking is something that came from the 2016 21st Century Cures Act, where the Congress um, was addressing the issue in the health information um, sort of ecosystem, whereby um, organizations that had the technical capability through electronic health records and interoperability that you know we as a country have spent a lot of money on, they had the technical uh, capability to share information with other authorized parties as well as with patients, um, but they weren't doing it. And there were a variety of reasons that were suggested. No one had published a report that ONC had delivered to the Congress. Obviously, I wasn't in ONC at the time. Um, that was probably like in 2015, I think, or maybe even 2014. Um, that you know was kind of a report on what are the you know sort of the um, the issues out there that are not technological issues per se, but are more about motivation and um, where the um, information flow that is authorized by applicable law is actually being interfered with. And that term is the term that's used in the statute. It says that information blocking is where information that ought to be flowing essentially is interfered with um, for reasons other than, you know, sort of valid reasons. That then turned into um, the information blocking regulations that ONC issued, which um, essentially operationalized that idea of information blocking. Um, the core idea, and I'll stop talking after this, is that um, if you think about the way that you know information exchange has kind of been thought of in you know kind of our mental model is, and and uh, you know HIPAA has driven a lot of that is you know that organizations are. Um, permitted to share information with other organizations under, you know, certain parameters that HIPAA defines, but they're not obligated to. It just says that they're permitted to. And so the idea is um, that with information blocking, it kind of sort of almost flips that by saying that, or complements it, maybe is a better way to think about it, um, with that it says that if you're actually permitted to share that information with other parties, then you actually should feel an obligation to share it with other parties. So it almost, you know, sort of flips the paradigm in the sense that rather than saying that I'm only going to share information um, if I have a good reason to, it almost flips it um, by saying that you should be sharing information unless you have a really good reason not to. Can you give some examples of what information blocking looks like among healthcare organizations or providers? Um, you know, the classic is two hospitals in the same city who are essentially competing for patients. Right there, I mean, they're private businesses. They are, you know, looking for market share, just like every other private business. Um, and they're competing for patients, and they don't want to share information with each other because they're afraid that the other one 
is essentially going to um, steal their patients. They're going to steal their customers. They're going to figure out who are the, you know, the high profit um, cardiology patients. And we're going to figure out how to, you know, sort of appeal to them and, and make them our patients. Um, so that's kind of the classic example. You know, the competitors don't want to share information. Uh, other examples are, you know, perhaps less obvious, but um, are, you know, things that people have been, have talked about, which is my EHR vendor is not allowing me access to information that's actually my information, meaning I put it in the software, but now I can't get it out. And I ought to be able to get it out so I can use that information. Um, that's another, you know, sort of another example that's been cited, and that would be considered information blocking under, you know, sort of certain circumstances. The last example would be a patient uh, coming forward and saying, I, I have a HIPAA right of access to my information, and I'd like it in the form that I asked for, and I know it's electronic in your system. Maybe it's not in your electronic health record, but I know it's electronic, and I'd like it electronically. And the provider organization says, nope, here, here is a 1,200-page printout in PDF form of your medical record, um, because that's all that we're required to do. So the, all three of those are kind of examples of the kinds of things that you know, we wanted to be able to um, address. You mentioned a moment ago that there may be valid reasons for healthcare providers to not provide this information. Can you talk more about what those valid reasons are? Um, one example would be that a patient asked you not to. So a patient specifically says, I don't want you sharing my record with that other provider for whatever reason the patient has. Now, I will point out that under HIPAA, they are not required to share the information with the other party. Um, and so we're not saying that um, uh, sort of supersedes that. All we're saying is that, you know, what HIPAA says is that if a patient asks you not to share information with another party, you don't have to share it. It's up to you, um, provider. So in our information blocking regulations, basically what we say is if you want to honor that patient's request, that's not considered information blocking. Um, Another reason would be that you want to share information with another party, um, but there is sensitive information that's covered by a different law, like 42 CFR Part 2, for example, related to substance use disorder. Um, and that's a part of the record, and you don't have a good way of segmenting that data or filtering that data out. That would be another reason for you to say, I can't share the information because, um, you know, it's it's too, um, it's commingled with all this other information that other laws prevent me from you know, sharing the information. A third example and um, is that it's technically infeasible for you to share the information electronically, even though the information is electronic. So an example of that would be, you know, like in many hospital systems, you know, we always think of the EHR as being in the hospital system, but they have a whole sort of thicket of other kinds of electronic systems in, you know, in, in a hospital organization. And some of those technologies like, my, you know, medical devices, other kinds of um, systems for very specific specialties or very specific um, uh, kind of uses in the hospital, maybe on technology that's, you know, literally like 15 years old. And so even though it is technically electronic, it was never made to export data in any industry formatted way, for example, and certainly not built for dealing with a request from a patient because um, a lot of those systems were actually built for providers. They were never built with the idea that a patient would want all their records. So that might be a case where a provider organization you know, says, you know, it's technically infeasible for me to provide that electronic information to you, even though I, you know, very much would like to, and I have all good faith that I would want to, but I just can't. 
And this leads into the proposed penalties released at the end of October by the Department of Health and Human Services through ONC for healthcare providers who engage in information blocking. So can you break down what those proposed penalties are and what they may look like for healthcare organizations? So the uh, the set of disincentives that are, I should say, are the first um, set of disincentives, meaning that um, that there could be future disincentives that are added to the list as well. So the important part of the rule is that it sets up a framework, you know, for um, uh, sort of a portfolio of potential provider disincentives, and it sets up, you know, sort of the framework for how that would work, you know, for, across different agencies when you have um, uh, disincentives coming from different agencies. But this first set which are very important for set, um, come from CMS, and it's um, related to hospitals and physician offices that participate in certain CMS payment programs. So the three types of disincentives that are proposed in the rule are one for those participants who are in the Medicare Promoting Interoperability Program. And the proposal would be that an eligible hospital or critical access hospital would not be a meaningful EHR user if OIG determines that they have committed information blocking. And in particular, the impact would be that um, they would lose 75% of the annual market basket increase um, that they get through that program. And for critical access hospitals, their formula is a little bit different. Um, their payment would be reduced to 100% of their reasonable costs instead of 101% of their reasonable costs. So in each of those cases, it's, you know, whatever would have been an increase or a cost reimbursement sort of approach, they would be penalized by a certain percentage of that payment. And that would apply in the particular year in which it happened for a single EHR reporting period would be the idea of that one. And just to give you a flavor of, you know, our estimates of what would be the potential financial impact of that, because that, you know, it's always a question of, well, 1%, what do I have, you know, how do I know how big that or small that is? We've done some work um, with CMS and the ONC team to look at data. And for that first disincentive, we estimate that the median disincentive amount for a penalty would be $395,000. Um, and that's looking at the span of, you know, how much money is distributed to hospitals and then taking the median amount and then applying that penalty. Um, the median amount um, by that estimation would be $395,000 for that, you know, this would be the penalty for the median hospital based on, you know, sort of that distribution of payments um, with the with the range being uh, for 95%, you know, sort of um, uh, interval there um, would be a low of like $30,000 to a high of $2.4 million. So that gives a sense of, you know, A, that first disincentive and roughly what would, you know, what might the financial um, impact look like. Uh, the second uh, disincentive is in the quality payment program. And so that would apply to MIPS eligible clinicians. So those are ambulatory providers. So the first one is, you know, related to hospitals. The second is for eligible clinicians. And in this one, the um, uh, determination by the, OI by the OIG would result in the MIPS promoting interoperability performance category not earning a score in that performance category, essentially a zero score. So you would certainly not be able to get 100%. And for uh, depending on, and there's you know, a little bit of a menu that people can choose, but typically that category for which you would be assigned a zero would be 25% of the, you know, of the overall score. In terms of the um, what might that penalty look like? 
um, again, going with the same you know kind of approach that uh, that we used before, the median individual disincentive amount would be like almost seven hundred dollars, with a range of you know something like thirty eight dollars on the low end um, to like seven thousand dollars on the upper end. And again, remember these are individual positions, so that's why the numbers are obviously smaller because it would be an individual position. And then finally is the uh, disincentive related to participation in the Medicare ACO programs. Um, uh, specifically the shared savings programs, the MSSP. And in that case, the penalty would be that uh, for participation in an ACO program, where remember organizations get together and then they apply to be a part of an ACO that, um, that uh, operates under an MSSP contract, CMS as a part of that process would screen ACO, ACO participants and ACO providers um, for an OIG determination of information blocking. So essentially to see if any of them have been found by OIG to be um, uh, not in compliance with information blocking. And it would deny them the opportunity to participate as a participant for um, a period of at least one year. And, um, and what that would mean is that um, also for the ACO, if one of their participants, you know, was found to be in violation, then, you know, that would apply to the, that would affect the the whole ACO. Um, so again, in terms of the financial impact, the estimate is that um, for a median group uh, size of six clinicians, we would estimate that a group disincentive of $4,000 and a range of like $1,300 to an upper end of $165,000. Um, and then for group sizes that are in, that are, um, for two to 20, 204, uh, and that would be for group sizes that vary from like two physicians to 241 um, physicians. So on the low end, a two physician group would be $1,300. On the high end of 241 clinicians, that would be something like $165,000. So those are kind of three penalties with the, um, you know, with the disincentives. And then the last thing I'll note is that we also ONC um, from a transparency perspective, we'll also be posting on our website any organizations that have been found um, by the uh, Office of Inspector General um, to be not in compliance with the information blocking regulations and who have um, uh, been assessed uh, an appropriate disincentive. So that's not a disincentive, um, but that is in the, in the interest of transparency um, to the market so that, um, uh, that we still will be posting those, um, the names of those organizations as well. That was Mickey Tripathi, National Coordinator for Health Information Technology at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. He joined me to talk more about the penalties HHS is proposing for hospitals and providers that engage in so-called information blocking. The public comment period for these proposed penalties ends on January 2nd, and you can find the language for HHS's proposed rule at gisthealthcare.com. Coming up tomorrow, we hear the second part of our conversation where we talk more about why it's taken a few years to establish these potential penalties and how they fit into the federal government's overall interoperability goals. Be sure to join us. This is Just Healthcare Daily. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or a review. It helps other listeners find the program. We'll be back with healthcare business and policy news updates tomorrow, as always, in 10 minutes or less. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news at gisthealthcare.com. You can also get these insights emailed directly to your inbox when you subscribe to our newsletter, The Weekly Gist.
The GIST Healthcare Daily Podcast is an independent production of GIST Healthcare, a Kaufman Hall company.